Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. If you want to inspire someone, introduce them to someone whose story is so powerful, it's life-changing. This series is all about women as role models, everyday women from every walk of life doing great things with their lives. And these exceptional women are generous. You see, their joy comes from telling you how they got to where they are today, including all the bumps in the road and the obstacles they encountered along the way. After having interviewed, well, almost 700 women, I believe that successful women have a positive mindset. They forge their own path. They figure out a way around obstacles and roadblocks. They think differently. And by the end of this episode, I hope you will agree. In the spotlight, a woman who has made her living making her clients look really good. I mean really good. No, she's not a stylist. She's a public relations genius. But wait, that is not all. She is an event architect, a media strategist, and a talent buyer. And much of her work has been done on behalf of nonprofits who rely on her wealth of knowledge and her experience to help them build fundraising events across the country. And make no mistake about it, for-profit businesses flock to her as well. The latest chapter in her decades-long career finds her opening her services up to people who just might want to rent her brain for a while. A big believer in mentoring, Dela is also the co-founder of Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, a trade organization that connects, educates, and inspires its members through powerful networking opportunities and something called wisdom workshops. And when it comes to energy, she is the energizer bunny. And when it comes to keeping promises and working hard and delivering excellence, she's in a league of her own. And she's my friend. Her name is Dela Arabella Centauri. And this is her story. Dela, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. It's so good to see you. Okay, so I was trying to remember how long we've known one another. Oof. I think we've been friends for 16 years. Does that seem right? That seems right. It seems like much shorter and much longer at the yeah. same time. So I've wanted to interview you, Dela, forever, but it's so hard to get you to sit down for long enough to ask you a couple of questions. <laughs> Why PR? Let's start there. What, what attracted you to public relations? Wow, necessity. That was the key to the beginning. I always call myself the actor accidental publicist, for sure. When I started my career, I was with Hilton Hotels. I was just a little kid, and they asked me to take over their jazz club, which I knew nothing about. But I was in this part of my life where I'm like, ah, just say yes. Just say yes to everything that comes your way, and hopefully something good will come. Well, you and I always say check yes or yes, right? That's right. That's it. That's so, the only option. How old were you? Oh, 23, I think. I had not been out of college that long. Now, meanwhile, I had no idea what any of this meant. You know, I never know what a, having a staff was like or a P&L statement or booking talent. We did have a publicist at the time and it just wasn't working. Uh -huh. So because of my naivete, I decided, hey, I'll just do it myself. How hard could this possibly be? Mind you, I had no media contacts, never wrote a press release, never really even looked at a press release before. So that was the start. But boy, you learn by doing pretty quickly. So I'm going to guess that there were probably some missteps along the way and times when you landed flat on your face. Too many. How Ooh. did you get back up again? You just keep going. You just dig in. You have to be grateful for that because so much of what 
I know today. And then I teach kids that are not that much younger than when I what I was when I started that I learned in those valuable first few years and still learn. Because if you're not making mistakes, you're really doing something wrong. You're not growing. You have been quoted as saying a good publicist can get you some ink. A great publicist has solid relationships where they count. I guess relationships really are everything in every business. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, the PR game specifically, it used to be a chess game, and now it's just you know a game of chance. You don't know what your PR message, how it's going to be received. So a lot of people just want ink. They just want to be in the New York Times. They just want to be on BuzzFeed. And you always have to say, well, why? You know, what's the end goal? You know, what are you trying to do? Because sometimes you might have the right message. You re- go to the wrong outlet or you, you get the wrong writer. You get the wrong producer, and now you got a hot mess on your hands. Let's go back to Scholars Jazz Club for a mm. second, because here you are at the age of 23. You're running one of the most famous jazz clubs in the country. What was that like? I recall this so vividly, because in the first month, I kept thinking, can I just get my old job back? If I call, will they maybe pick up the phone and say, sure? You know, that that was for about a a good solid couple of weeks. And then I remember thinking, and then what will I do then? So I dug in my heels and it was a good solid two years of learning everything. Did you ever feel as if your knowledge, your abilities were questioned because of your youth at that time? Or did they pretty much leave you alone? No one left me alone at all, at all. And they kept asking me questions. And I remember I learned the art of saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. Let me get back to you on that. And doing a lot of midnight research on, you know, like I said, I'd never looked at a P&L statement, didn't know what P&L stood for. I, I didn't know any of these things, but I was determined not to fail. So I said, you know what? At the end of the day, there's one thing I know. I have a good head on my shoulders. I'm a smart kid, and I'm going to make this work. Two years, I don't think I exhaled. (laughs) I'm going to guess that you learned a lot about talent management as the GM of the famous Scholars Jazz Club. That was a priceless lesson. So I worked for, it was Harvard and Hilton on one side, and then I had all this amazing jazz talent, many of them in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond, these really amazing, talented musicians who had their own way of doing business. I was always the in-between person. I had to advocate for the artist, and then I had to advocate for the reason we were all there, because we are trying to make money. We weren't doing a public service. We were a for-profit company. But I learned valuable skills during those times. Did you have a mentor? I did. Fred Taylor. He is the famed jazz impresario in Boston, known throughout the world. You say his name almost in any audience, and you always get, woo! from some balcony somewhere. He ran Paul's Mall and the Jazz Workshop back in the 60s and 70s in Boston and since then has been really at the forefront of so many of the most amazing shows that have come to Boston. And he was always there with me. He taught me a lot about advocating for artists, making it work for everyone. And it was a challenging time because those are entities between corporate and artists to this day. They don't always see eye to eye. He helped me bridge a lot of that. Lightning round. Okay. Tell me the first word that comes to your mind about these artists. Ready? Okay. Michael Buble. Wildcat. (laughs) John Legend. Gracious. Patty Austin. Inspiring. Josh Groban. Handsome. Handsome devil. (laughs) (laughs) Our own Grace Kelly. Love. Pure love. Patty LaBelle. Fun. (laughs) Mary Wilson. Absolute love. Gladys Knight. 
the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> I, th- I thought that was you. Put me to shame. <laughs> Put me to shame. We had some fun, though. It takes a lot of courage to launch your own business. You decided that it was time for you to leave Scholars and sort of move out on your own. You call it De La Arabella, Inc. Walk me through this latest chapter in your career. It was time. I remember people had asked me for my advice on whether it was doing a private event or PR or how to handle certain situations. And I thought, you know, I, I could probably do this, but it's scary. You know, right now I have a nice gig. I'm getting a paycheck every Thursday. I have my, everything is covered. You know, I have all my health insurance and all this stuff. But I thought I'm not being challenged anymore. And I'm one of those people. I know I, I'm a passionate, driven person. So for me, as soon as I kind of feel like, mm, I don't know, I feel like I could do this, you know, backwards in high heels. It's time to go because you stop growing. Comfortable is not your favorite word. No, I'm oh, you know, I feel like I'm always in this uncomfortable. There's a big learning curve kind of thing. But I now I realize this is how I'm hardwired because you learn and you can't help anybody else if you're not learning. It's a pretty kind of sexy, fun life being the GM of Scholars Jazz Club. And then all of a sudden you say, okay, I'm just going to go into business for myself. I'm going to guess that that was pretty scary. Oh, so scary. I said, what if no one ever calls me ever again? And then I'm unemployable. All of those thoughts came inside my head, but I have to say it was pretty brief. I knew this was going to be the plan eventually. This was pretty obvious. So I put some feelers out there. Like I said, I had done some consulting and people had said, you know, If you ever could be available, we'd love to talk to you. That's really how it started. I just jumped. And when I think about the core of your business, when you first went out on your own, a lot of it was this music world. You took a lot of that with you. Talk about that. Yeah, a lot of folks that had asked for my help early days when I was still at Scholars were young musical nonprofits, which makes sense with scholars. You know, we were doing fundraisers for them and I was getting them talent and helping them out. So they would come and I could see that was a great vantage point starting so young on the corporate side because I had learned a lot about how corporations make money and how they make decisions. So I could bring that to nonprofits. Now, I understood they didn't have the same resources, but there's always ways around that. I would bring that to the table to them. More nonprofits started working with me because they realized that I came to it a little differently than other people who they were chatting with. You have executed some of the biggest events for both local and for national nonprofits. And one of them is your favorite. Let's talk about that. Tell me about stepping out oh, for the Dimmick Center. That's been so fun. That's your smile right away. You love this event. We have brought so many amazing artists to this evening. One, Some of the people on this list that I just mentioned. Gladys Knight, Mary Wilson, Patti LaBelle, they've all come through those doors for stepping out. One, it's always about the mission. That's one thing I will say about my business model. A lot of them are really sexy events and they're fun. But at the end of the day, I want to know what the mission is. And that's why I call myself an event architect, because we're really building this not just to put on a good show, but we make sure the pillars of this event are your mission, not just we're going to throw a bunch of money out there and just hope we make the papers. For me, the Dimmick Center, as many people know in Boston, is a healthcare center that treats over 70,000 patients a year that do not have insurance or don't have enough insurance to cover it. 1885, they were founded for women by women. That's pretty extraordinary. In fact, I think the first registered nurse of color received her degree. That's true. From the Dimmick Center at that time. It's high on a hill in Roxbury. And like you said, it is a national model for excellence in healthcare. So one of your biggest clients and certainly an event stepping out that you produce every year. 
Tell me about some other events that you feel passionate about that you've been able to grow as an event architect. You know, there's so many events in different markets. So I, a lot of people know that I work in Boston, but I also work in New York, in L.A., in Chicago, and in Florida. I would say the ones that mean the most to me, we, at the end of it, we can say, we raised this amount of money and we know exactly where this is going. And then the next year, we can use that progress and we can show a lot of times, and you've been to many of these events, where we have ambassadors, people that were directly impacted by the work that we did last year in that event. They come back and they tell us, all of this is only possible because of last year's event. What can we do to step this up? So I don't know if there's ever one particular event that inspires me. It's the progress we make towards the goal. What are the ingredients, in your opinion, as an expert, as an event architect, what makes a great event? That everything that you touch, everything that you feel, everything you hear drives you back to why you're there and why you want to continue your relationship with that group. What is the kiss of death for an event? Oh, there's, there's so many pitfalls. I joke about this, and it's on my website as well. So many people try to outdo their competition. You know, oh, somebody just had Jennifer Holiday. We want to have Beyonce. And I joke about Beyonce. I adore Beyonce, and I'd love to have her at all my events. However, it's a hefty price tag. Why are we spending that much money? Do we need to spend that money? I think when you overspend, people now, it's a different day. We've been through a fairly recent recession. This is not only the people who buy tickets, your sponsors, your board. They're looking and they're smart enough now. There's enough resources online. They can see how much you're spending on things. If it doesn't go right back to the mission, people will not support you or they won't support you at the dollar mark that you're hoping to get. So needless spending on events or even having an event at all. I always say sometimes the best time for your event is just not now. Do you mind if we talk a little bit about sort of your beginnings, where you grew up, sure. where you come from? Where are you from? From Rhode Island, from Cranston, Rhode Island, just outside of Providence. What did you want to be when you were a little girl? If I had met you on the playground and we started having fun together, what would you have said? Hey, Dela, what do you want to be when you grow up? A constitutional lawyer. That was always the plan. Really? <laughs> yep. As long as I've known you, I never knew that. Is that because you argue so well? <laughs> I don't know if it was that way. I just really liked the law and interpretation. I read the Constitution, I think, when I was very young or what I could understand of it. And I thought, this is great. You know, protecting the Constitution. I mean, that is the most important thing you can what do as be a citizen. Than that? Right. So that was the initial goal. Did you think, though, at one point that you wanted to go to law school? Oh, that was the plan when I was at Northeastern. I was at Northeastern already looking at law schools. I went to Europe for a little while. I took a little bit of a break. That completely changed my life. More importantly, I went to Northeastern and I worked in their co-op program. Essentially, you go to school year-round, do three semesters of school, then you do a co-op. And I did co-op one with Joe Kennedy in 8th District of Massachusetts. This is Joe Kennedy, a senior. I worked with him in D.C. for a little bit. I also worked at Hale & Door, which was in Boston, a law firm for a long, in Burns and Levinson. And along the way, I met people who really, they had lost their way. And I thought, this is not what I want to get involved in. At Burns and Levinson at the time, the lawyers there almost tried to talk me out of it. <laughs> you got your whole life from of you do something else. So that brings me to my next question, Dela. Did you have a go-to person when you were growing up, somebody who was your role model or gave you some steadfast advice? Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. 
These days, more and more people are working from home. When your computer breaks down, you lose business. This is Dave Elmasian, president of TechHelpBoston.com. Our tech experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer. Same day, next day, and weekends too. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted us since 2000. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. There's never been some one person, because I was always an inquisitive child, and I would ask everybody everything all the time. I would just ask questions all the time, and I would listen to the answers. I would say my mom, was, of course, was always there, and she was a passion player. She got it. She knew that I was not going to be able to do something to do it for the money, to get my you know name in lights, that if I didn't feel it, it wasn't going to happen. Where did you learn your incredible work ethic. Because honestly, Dela, as long as I've known you, you are somebody who's up at two o'clock in the morning trying to solve a problem. Who taught you that? My best business education came from my father's side of the family. My grandfather came to this country. They started a business in the 30s. It was a repair shop. And at one point, it was a Texaco. Then they sold international trucks. So it morphed through the generations. Big Italian family. Everybody worked there. We had lunches there. After school, you would meet there. You'd work there. They didn't take breaks. You didn't get sick because you didn't have time. I learned that very early on. They took Sundays off, but Sundays would be church. And then what they would do is they'd keep the doors closed so no one knew they were inside to catch up on work that they couldn't do in the last six days. They never said no to anyone ever. And I will never forget that. I mean, I learned those lessons when I was four, five, six, seven, teenage. And they're still with you. Yeah. Oh, no, I will never forget that. And I'm grateful, very grateful for that. You and I have been guiding Boston women in media and entertainment together for many years. I always like to say, for me anyway, it's a labor of love. Why do you do it? It has a lot to do with the same qualities that the business has, that there's probably nothing better in the world than when you know you have something inside of you, even if it's just a piece of advice that can change the trajectory of their business, of their life by just giving them that time, wake up in the morning, solve a problem. Even if it's a small one, it's a big one to somebody. So after going out on your own a couple of years ago, you've now sort of churned a page. And I want to talk a little bit about the new iteration of De La Arabella Incorporated. You know, I think the most important thing about being in business for yourself is keeping yourself inspired because it's easy to have the plan when you start. But at some point, you have to make that pivot. You have to wake up and say, wait a minute, are we on course? What is the course? Do I need to change this? And I got there, I would say last year, I realized, you know, I'm a passion player. I want to do what I love. I want to wake up and be so jacked up. I'm like, here we go. We're just going to get this. And it was starting to feel like a lot of people that I was helping, I always had to tell them, you don't need me anymore. You can do this. I gave you the tools. I gave you the, the blueprint. You go now. You go and you do it. I'm here. But you don't need to pay me for this anymore. And by doing that, it gave me more time to be able to help more people. And I'm talking specifically about nonprofits, which is where my heart lies. It always has. I've always said I love my for-profit clients. But to see what nonprofits do, they have a mission in hand. They're doing so much with so little. And now they're all being forced to be more than out-of-the-box creative. So I want to be able to help more nonprofits by giving them more of my time and not being that, oh, okay, here's a great big contract you're going to sign. No, let's just talk. 
Let's talk. So is it that you're now more of a consultant? Yes. Now, more true consulting. I always tell everybody, come the first meeting, do me a favor. No PowerPoints. <laughs> I just want to sit down. I want to know who you are. I want to know what you do. I want to know what your goals are and what keeps you up at night. That's the whole conversation. Let's just start there. Sometimes if we're lucky and we work really hard, we get to enjoy the fruits of our labor. So I wanted to take a moment to talk a little bit about what do you do just to relax, have fun. I know you love Europe. Tell me a little bit about that. Do you have I, a bucket list? Are you working on that? I do. In fact, I was just at the general audience of Pope Francis at the Vatican. And that was really... that Check was that off your bucket Oh, my, that was unbelievable. We went there two weeks ago. But travel is my life. I mean, I would jump on a plane anytime, any day. I mean, everyone knows that. Just tell me where. I've got my passport <laughs> close by. I'm on it. Dayla, what do you wish you knew when you first got started? Can you talk to 23-year-old Dayla when she was just about to take over Scholar's Jazz Club? Breathe. Just breathe. I think the journey can take you. Even when you're a passion player, sometimes you forget to breathe and you forget to enjoy the moment. It's hard. It's hard to do it. It took me 20 years to say, just enjoy what's right in front of you. Even enjoy the tough stuff. And it makes for a happier life. I wish I knew that then. I think I was always so anxious, like, you know, this is going to get to this. No, this is where you are. Enjoy where you are. Do you have a mantra, words that you live by? Just say yes. I still do it. In fact, I, I forgot who I was speaking to. I remember saying to someone, I can't believe that's still my mantra. Am I nuts? One minute I said to myself, maybe I'm too old for, for that. Maybe it's time to, you know. Then I said, oh, no. Come I'm on, not me. How important has your faith been in your life? You talked about just being able to go to that general audience with the Pope. I mean, talk to me a little bit about that. You know, I've had an interesting kind of trajectory with my faith. I went to a private Catholic school, private Catholic prep school, and then I kind of lost my way. I mean, I always had my own individual relationship. I stopped going to church and not really sure I was so connected. And then, as you know, my significant other now is also a Catholic and said, I just want you to come to church with me a couple of times and let's just see if you don't feel comfortable. And now here we are 13 years later, our three of our best friends are pastors and we've got a lot of other things on tap. My faith has always been somewhere with it. You know, just like I think a lot of people's journey it gets lost along the way, yes. but I, I would be lost without it. I think there may be, for some of us, there are seasons in our faith. I guess that's probably what you're saying. Yeah. We all learn from our mistakes. What has the biggest lesson been for you so far? And this is something I'm still working on, is really taking some time to not forget everyone else in your life. You can be so laser focused on business. This is the new me. This is my new phase is making sure everybody in my life knows how much I really appreciate them, even when I'm not there. Because it's very easy to just get so swept away and years go by and you can't get home and you miss birthdays and you miss everything because you're with a client, you're traveling with a client, you're, you're at an event and the decades started going by. So I think repairing some of those relationships that I've been doing for the last year, now it's on my list, just like my tasks for my clients are. You have to do that. I want to share a quick story with you because I so identify with what you just said. I was shopping in a TJ Maxx and it occurred to me 
that I had lost touch with one of my very best friends of my whole life. And I just literally started crying in a corner, picking up my phone, calling her, saying, I'm so sorry. I got so wrapped up in my career that I forgot about you. And it was really kind of like a a life-changing experience for me. And everything shifted that day when I realized life is just too short. Yeah. It goes by fast. Yeah. It goes by fast. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? You don't. You go right at it. It's true. I've tried both. The going around thing is is overrated. It really <laughs> is. Just go right at it. You'd be surprised how things crumble when you just attack it. Success means many things to many people, specifically at different times in our lives, right? We've already talked about seasons and chapters. Right now, what does success mean to you? Freedom. I get to do what I love. I get to work with who I love. I get to support missions that I love. And I have more time with the people I love. And so that freedom is success. I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story today, telling me so many things I didn't didn't know about you. We finally did it. We did it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?